Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Adam Whitlam, part of the Toronto-based fixed income sales team, and Jordan Sugar, one of our provincial and CMB traders. This week's episode is titled, Summertime and the Trading Ain't Easy. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.writesis at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Welcome back, Adam and Jordan. Pleasure to have you uh, back on the show once again. The markets have been uh, particularly challenging again. I mean, I feel like I'm saying that every every couple of weeks here, but that's still been the case of late. Uh, we've seen a, a continued rally in the market, at least until yesterday, I call it Tuesday. Today's uh, Wednesday, July twenty-first, and then we've uh, we've seen the rates market uh, or yields back off the lows yesterday, and and we got a further sell-off today, and risk uh, risk risk on again after after a pretty sizable risk-off move on Monday. It seems as though uh, those types of events are are very short-lived. Uh, stocks only only go down for a day or two, it seems, before uh, moving back up to new highs, making things interesting. And then that has an impact on on the uh, provincial and, and CMB spread market as well. So that's something we'll, we'll definitely talk about. But welcome back to the show, both of you. Thanks for coming on. Always good to be here, Ben. Thank you, Ben, for having us here. It's uh, it's exciting to be here in the summertime when things get nice and choppy like this. And uh, I don't know if you heard, but uh, a lot of stimmy checks got mailed out last week to the people with kids in the states, so stocks can only go up from here. <laughs> of course, free money works works well that way. Uh, Dogecoin is at the low zone, no? Uh, I, I I'm not a Dogecoin connoisseur. I, I do Dogecoin's I do like the, the people dog money video. Yeah, I, I do like the dog money video, but that's where it ends for me. Um, so let, let 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 let's get on to something uh, actually serious here. Let's talk about provincial spreads just quickly, CMP spreads as well. Uh, and and I think like the the most interesting aspect of spread of the spread market right now is you've seen a fifty plus basis point move in in ten year and thirty year rates and spreads have been pretty much unchanged. Uh, we're, we're not quite at the tights; we're maybe slightly off, uh, but we're not far from the kind of post global financial crisis tights, and we're not far from the post COVID tights. How are spreads hanging in here so nicely? Like, is there still that good demand for spread product at these levels, uh, or something else going on? Well, actually, the other element I'd add, uh, in addition to the uh, you know fifty basis points or more lower in rates, would also be the uh, the continued supply um, that uh, that continues to come down the pipeline. Uh, and as you mentioned, nonetheless, uh, spreads are where they are. So yeah, we have uh, we do continue to see good buying, much like uh, an, any type of equity uh, sell-off. It's short-lived, and spreads uh, seem to snap right back. Uh, perhaps not one for one with uh, the U.S.-based IG, but uh, but pretty close to it. Um, so yeah, we're not at the tights, we're not through the tights, but uh, but we're uh, we're hanging in there. And I don't know if it's uh, maybe uh, has to do with uh, with the summer months, but uh, I think it's more than that. 
I think it's uh, I think there's just good demand for uh, for provincial credit, credit in general, but definitely provincial credit. And uh, and I don't think uh, with the amount of money that's out there, um, spreads are uh, are going to back up too far from here right now. And and if they were going to, I think uh, the past few days or the past uh, the, the past two weeks would have been a good opportunity for that to happen. That's a good point. I think especially with the supply that's uh, that that's come and uh, still poised to come, and then and really no material spread move on on the back of that. It's kind of been more of a rate move. Honestly, you've seen some some Canada cross market underperformance on on days where uh, where, where there's been uh, expected and uh, actual uh, sizable issuance rather than any movement uh, on on the spread front. Uh, Adam, what what are you hearing from clients on this? Like the still still good interest in Provis here. Yeah, so so uh, there is good interest in probies, but what I would kind of preface that with is uh, a lot of the interest that I've been seeing and that I've talked to clients about is the credit upgrade trade. So you know, it's not necessarily that probies look cheap and I have lots of money and I want to spend them on probies. It's that I'd much rather own a probi than I would some corporate bond in the long end because I think that that spread compression has come too far. So on that metric, probies make sense. I also, you know, you, you look at where some of the less liquidity lines are. I mean, my preference is to roll into higher liquidity things. So if there is a backup, if there is an opportunity, you can roll it back out into something that's higher beta and out, and out of liquid probies, where if you start acquiring some of the less liquid lines, it can be difficult to move that if and when you want to. So I think part of the bid to provincial spreads is it's just a better credit quality than a lot of the other stuff out there. I mean, you read these articles in the Wall Street Journal about in the US, the IG versus high yield index is at the tightest level it's been in years. So you know, maybe it's time to take some of the higher beta off the table and, and go into something that historically is a little better protected. On that note, something I've kind of been on about uh, a little bit lately is uh, just how Ontario has has underperformed uh, of late. I mean, you, you effectively what we've seen is, is peripheral uh, provinces have been tightening uh, pretty consistently, uh, and then as the risk on environment has continued, they, they've consistently tightened. Uh, and I, I guess part of that is is I mean, again, oil prices moving higher certainly helps Alberta, helps Saskatchewan, uh, helps Newfoundland. Uh, but but Ontario's been, I guess, the the, the common theme in all those kind of lagging, uh, more or less. I think maybe Ontario's getting a bit of a bad rap from a fundamental perspective. Uh, I, I suspect, and I mean, the, the numbers suggest that all the provinces are going to be materially better than their their forecasts uh, for, for for their budgets for for the current fiscal year. Uh, Ontario's fiscal watchdog just came out and said they're going to be about nine to ten billion better than expected for the last fiscal year. Uh, so that's a better starting point. And then they they were very conservative on their budgeting for, for this year. Uh, and so, I mean, just like, and I mean, you can say that about, about all the provinces, but I, I, it was a little bit more, uh, more so for Ontario. So there, I think there might be good value here. And if, and if, in, if what you said is true, Adam, and, and people are looking to kind of upgrade uh, on the liquidity side, on the credit side, and, and I'd say this is probably more on the liquidity side, of course, uh, but Ontario might be a better or, or a good option uh, to maybe increase weightings on that front. Uh, and even if you give up a bit of yield, depending on which province uh, you're moving away from, that that might be worth that, that improved liquidity in case things do back up a little bit. Uh, and either of you guys, uh, and, and any thoughts on that? You think Ontario has some some room to go here on a relative basis, or maybe if we get spreads underperforming, then then Ontario hangs in a bit better. Yeah, I'd say like uh, Ontario 
Ontario looks like a decent hold, especially relative to how far uh, some of the other peripheral names have come. Uh, you know, where I might note an alternative to Ontario would be kind of Quebec in the long end in that role, which was neg five, neg five and a half is kind of come back to negative three and a half on the back of maybe this hydro Quebec issue. So, and Quebec from a funding perspective is, is, you know, miles ahead. Uh, there maybe BC is now caught up with that big U S dollar deal, but, but otherwise Quebec is in, in very strong shape and fiscally remains pretty strong. So, you know, at negative five, I didn't really like Quebec, uh, at negative three and a half, uh, it's kind of a different story. And then, you know, maybe BC, uh, BC, particularly in 10 years where, uh, you know, trades very close to Quebec. I think BC, uh, you know, in our last provincial forecast update, we still have them earmarked for, you know, best in class GDP growth this year uh, across all the provinces. So if you can get BC at a level that is flat versus the curve to Quebec, and you have to be careful because what happens in those uh, you know, the June D, June Canada rolls with Quebec being a September maturity, you have to line your curve up carefully. But when you line it up, you can see that Quebec BC is actually on top of each other uh, versus the curve. And so, you know, from that perspective, I'd say BC in a 10 year versus say Quebec makes sense, but maybe Quebec in the long end is looking kind of reasonable. And then outside of that, yeah, I think Everything has really outperformed a lot. The prairie provinces have come in a long way. Uh, Alberta's had a good run, a little bit of pressure recently with what's been going on in oil. But but otherwise, uh, you know, if, if the thesis is going to be liquidity is king, then Ontario should should perform fairly well here in the next little bit. And I'll just uh, add in that, you know, if you wanted to fade even the strength in Provis uh, and then more specifically uh, BC or, or Quebec versus Ontario, uh, one thing to look at would be uh, BC and Quebec in the five-year sector versus CMBs. So what? Uh, so selling um, selling Quebec and or BC uh, and rolling into the five-year CMB benchmark. Uh, right now, BC is about two basis points or so back of uh, of CMBs, which is definitely the tight end of the range. Uh, and BC will only continue to to roll flat, if not cheapen slightly, versus Ontario as it rolls to a two and three-year bond. Uh, you know, similarly for uh, for Quebec. Um, although they can get quite technical depending on the issue size, but but you know everything else held equal. Um, you know the roll down would have been nice from from tens into fives, and I think fading that and rolling into CMBs for added protection here uh, is not a bad trade right now, and something we've been promoting the past week or so. Excellent, you uh, took took the words right out of my mouth, uh, Jordan. I was going to ask you uh, about CMBs, but uh, you, you covered that nicely. So uh, I think I think we'll move right along here. We'll get 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 to the race market in general. Uh, and 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 what we've seen again, uh, I think uh, all of our listeners know, uh, pretty pretty sizable rally here, and and big time curve flattening. Is there room to run here? Can can rates continue to go? Uh, are we going to see one percent in tens? Are we going to break through one percent in tens? There, there's a there's a gap, uh, not not on my my machine right now, but I think there's an opening gap kind of in the low 80s uh, from from back in February and in Canada ten years. That uh, I mean. History says those gaps get closed eventually. Uh, is is now going to be that time, uh, or has the rally gone too far? Uh, is the move in tens inconsistent with front end pricing? Like if we have the Bank Canada still going price to go a couple times in twenty twenty two with ten year rates at uh, one fifteen, one one twenty maybe today. There seems to be an inconsistency there. Uh, which one's wrong? I guess is 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 the long end getting a little bit too bared up, is or is it just a positioning driven move? Uh, or is the front end poised to, to to join in this this big rally? 
Uh, I'll jump in here. Uh, you know, on my end, what I've seen uh, in the CMB market, you know, I've seen a lot of international selling of uh, of the front end CMBs. Um, you know, the one to two year space, a lot of selling there, uh, and then as well uh, with you know with twos fives at the flats, and then uh, and and at the lows in rate. Um, you know, we did see a lot of cash selling of uh, of the uh, the three to four year CMBs, not so much the five year, but three to four year. Um, and uh, and from my conversations with clients, uh, a few people, a few clients are leaving, um, you know, some skin in the game there that they do think we do re- revisit these levels, uh, but definitely taking some sales and, uh, you know, and not uh, and not waiting for uh, for lower levels and, and flatter curves, but definitely keeping some uh, some skin in the game there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the tenure sector in Canada just looks absolutely egregious. And now, and I don't want to say that just out of context and that in terms of an outright level, I mean, I know we approached the the 200 MDA when we got to 112 earlier this week during the Delta variant uh, rally. But, and, you know, clearly there are gaps below that. I mean, the next gap, I think we were highlighting down to 103 in tens uh, if we were to break that 200 MDA. Certainly that's possible, but I think you got to look at it in the context of the entire market. And I've been on this for a while now. A lot of my clients know I've been on this about how cheap the front end, how cheap the backs market is. And where we're at now is a, is a positioning based squeeze. You have summertime markets, which are historically very positive for rates. They rally, they perform very well through the summer as you get into a hot potato market. And so you have a situation where, you know, maybe the senior traders, and, and there really aren't that many of those left in the Canadian market, but maybe the, the more senior traders they're on vacation. And so you have somebody else watching the book or watching two books at the same time or or you know this macro client is taking their summer holidays. So risk becomes a hot potato. And so when somebody lifts you and you get short, that that be it bank goes out to scramble that short position in the market and it just creates this feedback loop which causes these huge moves in rates and causes things that look expensive to get egregiously expensive, especially in light of say where stuff is in the front end. So, so have a look at the backs contract. Like if you look at say the Canada twos fives curve, and this is something that our trader Joel Prusky has been highlighting for a while now too. If you look at say the twos fives curve and you compare it to, uh, you know, say the the second versus, uh, you know, let's call it the the sixth, seventh, eighth backs contract. You'll notice that in Canada versus the rest of the world, our backs curve is extremely steep relative to where our twos fives curve is. So, what does that say? It says that you know backs positioning was quite bad going into the Bank of Canada. It was very long. A lot of the longs got washed out. Uh, and it's it's forced the front end of the curve to remain very cheap. But conversely, further out the curve, and it started mainly it's as a U.S. driven affair. But in the U.S., you know, we saw through the J.P. Morgan survey, the Canada traders, that there were a lot of shorts in the U.S. market. And as those shorts persisted, and we had that rally start, you know, weeks and weeks back, it caused a massive flattening the curve. There's been a lot of short covering. Now we're seeing like the JP Morgan surveys coming through and it looks quite a bit cleaner than it did. I think on the on the total accounts, the uh, real shorts was the smallest it's been since April. Uh, and even the commitment of traders data shows TYs are, are pretty clean now. Some of the other contracts, not so much, but some of that short squeeze positioning has been cleaned out. And so... 
you know, you're left with a situation where the front end still looks like great value. If the Bank of Canada is going to hike as aggressively as we have forecast into our backs curve, then tens have no place being at 123 outside of you know full blown policy error. And Ben, you've talked about this before, where inflation can sometimes feed on itself. Like it, it may be transitory, but you know when you get four quarters of high inflation. It starts to feed on itself. It becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. So, yeah, is our belly too expensive? Absolutely. I've seen clients fading it. I've seen paying a fives, tens, thirties in Canada versus the U.S. I've seen paying a twos, fives, tens in Canada versus the U.S. Uh, you know, our bond market, our swap market looks rich, and the foreign end looks like much better value here. Yeah, fives, tens, thirties, and on swap Canada, U.S. is uh, Canada looks uh, extremely, extremely expensive uh, on that metric at. Uh, Around minus 20 or so. Uh, I mean, you're looking at kind of over the past decade, it, it hasn't been there many times. And when it gets there, it's not there for very long. So uh, certain, certainly an opportunity on that front. Uh, let, let me ask both of you guys this. And then, yeah, I mean, you don't really have to give me a firm answer because mine is kind of like, where do you think the market goes over the next month or so through the end of the summer? Like, I, I, I'm still a believer in the seasonal factors I've been on about for a while. Uh, and, and and you just get those supportive factors in the market. And I don't, I'm not sure what fundamental drivers they're going to be through the summer months. Like you get you get Jackson Hole in August. Other than that, I mean, there's a couple CPI. There's Canada, US CPI prints, uh, some job numbers. I, I don't think those will be enough to really move the needle in any direction. Uh, so for me, it's just kind of probably sideways uh, for a while. Maybe we revisit the lows. Uh, but but range bound for now, and then I, again, as I've written, as I wrote last week, my macro thesis still holds. Uh, I, I still think better better growth is ahead, or at least good growth is ahead. Maybe not better. Sorry, I should uh, rephrase that. Uh, and, and strong growth is ahead still, even if it's not quite as strong as it was last year. Like four or five, six percent growth is still pretty darn good. So uh, that that should mean ten year yields higher than than the low ones for sure. Adam, where, where do you think yields go for the next call it? four weeks uh, through the rest of the summer and then and then and then we'll move to jordan yeah that's i was afraid you're going to pick a month because that's that's actually probably the most difficult time frame to pick what's going to happen because like you said the seasonals are are pretty strong and that's why we're having some of these choppy markets i i mean if growth is going to moderate to only four percent then i wouldn't buy a 10-year with your money at 123 so uh i'm going to say yields are going higher from here but i i am also tempted to say higher slash sideways so you know our 10 is going to climb to 135 yep i could absolutely see that but i don't you know i don't think uh we're going if i had to pick between to say 135 and 115 as the next move i'm calling 135 uh but sideways is probably right for the next month it's there's too much hot potato with risk yeah i don't have anything more uh enlightening really to say here because uh i I tend to agree with uh with 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 both of you um i i would be uh you know i would definitely be very cautious and err on the side of of lower rates and and and, you know and revisiting uh, the gaps in the charts um, and uh, but I don't think that's going to be negative uh, for credit. Uh, clearly, it hasn't been, so I don't expect that to change. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think lower sideways. But uh, but I think the everything uh, looking on the up and up um, towards the latter half of uh, of the year, and I think we'll uh, continue in the short term to be plagued with uh, with negative headlines and uh, indicating that we're not quite out of the woods. Uh, I hate to say it with uh, with COVID, but uh, but those headlines will persist. And uh, it will definitely weigh uh, on our market for sure. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, last topic for the day. Last topic for this week. Uh, the Bank of Canada was was last week. Uh, they did. I mean, 
almost exactly what I think most everybody expected. Uh, the market was seemingly set up for uh, a more hawkish bank. Uh, I'm not, not entirely sure why they'd get even more hawkish than they have been, but uh, that that was the setup definitely in FX markets, uh, backs markets as well to some extent. Uh, and, and and so you got that that market reaction uh, on on the back of it weaker Canadian dollar uh, and so on and so forth. But I think the takeaway, the main takeaway from the bank is that that things are kind of uh, progressing as they expected. So they they they're on a quarterly tapering pace. They tapered in April. They tapered again last week, July. Uh, the next monetary policy report meetings in October. I expect them to taper again. Then that would bring their purchases down to one billion per week. Uh, that will probably be as as low as they get. That leaves them net buying in the fourth quarter with only modest maturities coming in, in Q4 from their balance sheet. Next year, there's about 50 billion, you know, just under 50 billion in, uh, in, in QE maturities coming. Uh, so that would be equivalent to about a billion a week in purchases. So if they move from QE to just reinvestment in January, the pace of purchases actually stays pretty much the same. So uh, don't don't expect huge changes after after October. Uh, they'll just change probably the language a little bit in January, uh, and then from there it's a question when we get rate hikes. And the market uh, seems to like the middle of the year, July. Um, I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, the house call is for October right now, and I think that that's very doable as well, especially if you uh, consider the risks around Delta and, and the global risks there. But I think the, the, the still, given housing and everything else, and then just the resiliency and risk sentiment, uh, that that suggests that the risks are still toward uh, an earlier than October hike at this point. Uh, but but we'll, we'll see on that. As I, I noted earlier, that my my macro thoughts are, are still pretty much uh, pretty intact, and I really haven't changed much of my thinking at all. Canada's still going to uh, grow in the six percent range this year. Same with the U.S. Uh, a little, little bit stronger in the U.S. Next year should be kind of in the four plus percent neighborhood for the U.S. and Canada as well. I mean, though, again, pretty darn good numbers. Hard to reconcile that uh, with uh, with where bond yields are, and, and then on top of that, you can layer on inflation, which uh, has been strong year to date. In Canada, we're going to get an inflation print next week. You are going to see some slowing in the year over year for the for the June uh, print, but uh, some some poor comparables, or I guess low price increases in 2020 of the, the third quarter of 2020. Uh, I mean, we'll get actually a reacceleration in CPI here, uh, whereas in the U.S., you're going to stay in that kind of probably five to six percent range uh, for maybe the rest of this year. Um, so you have a, probably a good growth backdrop, high CPI rates. Again, I mean, it, it really comes back to the same same point that uh, I've been making for a long time, and, and quite frankly, has been wrong for <laughs> for a number of weeks now with with the with the rally in bonds. But it seems like both of you guys are on side at the end of the day with with uh, or let's call it post Labor Day uh, with higher yields. Uh, Jordan, why don't we start with you? Because I'm I'm 99 sure that Adam agrees with me given what he just said. But uh, uh, any anything to add or any thoughts on that? I mean, do you do you agree? You disagree? Am I totally wrong? Is Delta gonna destroy the the reopening trade and, and everything that goes with it yeah ben i would absolutely uh, agree with you um i do think uh you know rates will definitely be uh, will trending higher um and i do think that uh, labor day in and around that time uh you know mid to late fall is definitely the timeline i think a lot of people have in their mind for um for their lives to get back to normal for hopefully for uh, for kids to go back to school properly go back to school um and i think that all lines up you know, and, and, and to be uh, in the office once again, um, you know, on in some schedule. But um, but I do think that uh, that fall and Labor Day is is the timeline that uh, everyone has in mind. And uh, and that does line up with um, with higher rates and in uh, the world getting back to normal. And I think everyone uh, 
kind of has their fingers crossed and that's the expectation. And I think that's the way it will play out. I hope we're both right. Adam, your, uh, your thoughts here. Yeah. Um, so actually it's funny. I want to talk a little bit about the bank of Canada, uh, for a minute as well. So, Cause you know, like you said, Ben, it was kind of ham on rye. There weren't too many surprises from that bank of Canada statement. And we all kind of knew they were going to taper. They own a lot of our own bond market. I think it's still one of the highest percentages in the world. So it, it was sort of due for, for more tapering and that's going to keep going. What I found super interesting about that bank of Canada statement was when they discussed excess demand in 2023 that was going to push up inflation. When I read that, I kind of went, wow, excess demand in 2023? Like, listen, I get it. It's hard to buy goods right now. Uh, you know, we have supply shortages and labor shortages, but 2023 is a long, long time away. And that's when it became more apparent that that excess demand was going to be a result of low rates in 2023. So, to me, that said, you know, it, it wasn't a dovish Bank of Canada, but it was probably a little more dovish than the market really gave it credit for. I mean, I mean, uh, that to me says their intention is to keep rates pretty stimulative all the way through 2023. So that says boxes still look very cheap and still looks like a, a, a great buy and still look like good value. The other part to consider is. This Delta variant, you know, maybe we get some fear-based reaction there, or at least some acknowledgement that it's kind of going through the states. I mean, I think Canada, with our higher vaccination rates, um, hopefully will be in a little bit of a, a better place at the back of the whole Delta variant spread. But, but uh, I think you know, you at least have to give recognition to that and some of the wobble and, and what's going on in some of the countries around the world where we're seeing a big surge in COVID cases do the Delta variant. And so again, maybe that gives the Bank of Canada rise to to pause a little bit or let inflation run hotter or or just not be as aggressive in terms of, of rate hikes. So it makes the front end look like a great buy. But that being said, if you're going to keep rates stimulative and you're going to let inflation run high, then you should see cheaper rates further at the curve. So them putting that excess demand in 2023 uh, the, the the way that they explain that is this so they're they're going about policy differently than they ever have in the past and that they're they're not being preemptive at all they're going to wait to raise rates at least until the output gap is closed and that's something they've never done in the past they would anticipate that the output gap is going to close at x date and we would be tightening to be at a neutral point in policy by that date and so uh, because they're running policy a little bit differently at this at this juncture uh, to recover from the uh, the pandemic uh, as fully as possible uh, and, and waiting as long as they are to raise rates it takes 12, 18, 24 months to have those rate hikes feed fully through the economy. And if they're only raising rates uh, every six months or even every quarter, if they want to be on the aggressive side, it's going to take well beyond the starting point for their rate hikes uh, for them to get to that neutral point on policy. And so that's that's where you get that excess in 2023. Uh, the economy be at capacity and rates will still be really low, as in they won't have started raising rates when and until the, the, the output gap is closed. And so it, it's that's where they're coming from on this one. It doesn't necessarily mean that the rates will be uh, low into 2023. It just means that they're operating policy very differently than they have in the past at this point, just to ensure they get that uh, the recovery that to some extent eluded them uh, over the past decade or so, uh, so just just a, a little bit of a wrinkle there. Uh, I, I I appreciate where you're coming from. Them sounding seemingly more dovish, but I'd also note that that uh, that excess demand was also in the uh, in the April NPR. Uh, it just didn't get the recognition that it got in the July NPR. So uh, I I wouldn't key too much on that 
just yet. I think I think it's the jury's out, and we'll have to wait and see. But I'm backs are definitely cheap at this point. Uh, I think there's there's little doubt there. We're going to wrap things up here. I'm going to ask both of you gentlemen for your favorite trade ideas. Um, this week, mine is, and then I don't always have one to put in here because there aren't always great ideas, but uh, fives, tens, thirties uh, is, is uh, something that, that definitely looks attractive here. Cross market in, in particular, tens in Canada are very expensive <laughs> on the curve outright, pretty much any, any way you look at them. Uh, so that, 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 that's mine for the week. Uh, Jordan, why don't we start with you? What do you got for us? Um, you know, in keeping with uh, with CMBs, I do th- I do like uh, uh, despite the fact that you don't like ten year Canada's. Um, I do like uh, CMB ten years on credit uh, heading into uh, a brand new uh, CMB ten year in about a month or so. I do expect to see the credit box flatten, and I do expect to see spreads compress uh, or tighten rather into uh, into that uh, into that new issue. Um, but uh, in keeping more with a trade idea, I'm uh, going to go back to uh, the five-year space and selling the uh, the rich peripheral uh, bonds, whether it's BC or uh, or Quebec uh, versus CMBs. I think there's some value there. I think selling uh, Ontario versus CMB uh, in the five or ten-year space, um, typically that has that trade. Not typically, it hasn't worked out over the past uh, past couple of months, and every time. Uh, it tightened into new tights. Um, you know, the if you, if you if you did that trade, you got burned. Uh, and now we're uh, you know the June thirty CMB versus June thirty Ontario is just slightly inside at twenty, and uh, I don't uh, recommend doing that trade. But that's why I'm switching gears to the five year space where uh, credits rolled down nicely already, and the peripherals don't have much room to go flatter versus Ontario. As, it be, as they become a, a two-year bond. So I think that's a, a good trade right now. And uh, CMB five years uh, do look cheap on the curve and uh, and especially now versus those peripherals. Thank you, Jordan. Adam, what's your best idea? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I've, I've gone on about backs versus the rest of the curve beat probably it. About four times on this. Four times on this podcast. Kill I'm, the horse. I am not. The horse has, has had enough floggings for one day. It's going to go into the glue factory. So at this point. Uh, I'll, I'll look at a couple other areas. There's actually a couple of, like a bunch of different sort of micro curve trades that I like right now. Uh, you know, as a nod to Mr. Sugar, uh, you know, kind of pointing out where, um, you know, DS 23, June 24, DS 25, that's a micro CMB fly, uh, does make CMB June 24s look pretty cheap. Uh, it's kind of a nice, nice carry part of the curve as well. I mean, if you look at that fly on an all-in yield basis, is kind of about as cheap as it's been. So so I think that's one everybody should have a look at. Um, also, a little further out the curve, switching into Proby land, uh, I was kind of highlighting this to a bunch of people today. Uh, Ontario 35s definitely stand out as cheap, especially when you compare it to, say, the Ontario 33s, which are a March maturity bond. Uh, so, you know, if you look at some of the other March maturity bonds that have rolled down the curve, uh, they trade back of the curve. Uh, the Ontario 33s are, are actually quite a bit flatter than where the current, uh, you know, Ontario June 31, DS 30, June 30 curve is. So the Ontario and the Ontario 35s conversely are a June date. So, you know, a quote unquote good date. So the Ontario 35s definitely stand out as cheap. Uh, that's something if you're if you're playing kind of north of the 10-year sector in Proviews, you should have a look at, at uh, the, those bonds. And then further out the curve, uh, if you look at, say, you know, we're getting a lot of talk about uh, Ontario 2052, thought it might be this week's business. It could still be this week's business. Uh, the Quebec 51-53 roll, that's been steeping out ahead of HQ uh, doing their 40-year bond. Uh, so 
and, and also the Canada 48s, 51s role has been steepening out. So I think where there's value is actually some of the some of the old benchmark bonds like uh, Ontario 50s, Alberta 50s, uh, buying, you know, maybe shortening up, say, out of the 51s into the 50s or, you know, instead of buying some of that 2052 stuff uh, going a little further down the curve, you bet better roll, similar carry. So it's a nice part of the uh, curve to focus on. Okay, thank you both for your ideas this week, and uh, I, I appreciate you both coming on the show. Uh, as a housekeeping note before we uh, we wrap up, uh, this will be the last episode of Views from the North for the summer. I'm going to take August off from podcasting. We'll be back uh, after Labor Day uh, when hopefully things are, are probably a little bit more exciting in Canada. August 10th will be pretty quiet. There's exactly nothing on the Bank of Canada's calendar in August. Uh, so uh, we're anticipating things will be hopefully relatively quiet. We'll see. But I'd like to thank both of you for coming back on the show. Uh, Adam and Jordan, uh, pleasure to have you once again and look forward to uh, bringing you back in the future. Always a pleasure, Ben. Thanks for having us, Ben. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.